Will you turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 6 today? Luke chapter 6, and this morning as we continue in our series of studies on the generous life, embracing stewardship and experiencing abundance, we're going to move out of the kiddie pool this morning. We're going to kind of get out in the deep end with the big boys and the big girls. And uh, I've shared with you many times before, if you're new to Abilene, uh, one of the things that we say every time, of, every year this time, is February is for finances at Abilene. And uh, that's true this year as well. So if you're a guest this morning and this is your very first time at Abilene, thank you for coming to Abilene. Uh, I don't preach on giving every, every Sunday, uh, but we do preach on it during the month of February and talking about stewardship and giving. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at and learning really some tremendous life-changing principles. Again, embracing stewardship and uh, experiencing abundance that are found in a statement that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus. He actually gave it in the context of relationships in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, again, a lot of, lot of theologians, a lot, lot of Bible scholars are going to say, you cannot preach a st- series, you cannot preach a sermon on giving out of Luke chapter 6 because what they say is that the context of Luke chapter 6 is relationships and loving your enemies and, and not judging and so on and so forth. Well, here's what I would say to all of those guys. I don't think Jesus ever wasted a word, right? I don't think that Jesus ever, ever wasted a word. And I believe that Jesus can can put the cookies down on the bottom shelf to where the uh, kiddos can get to it and at the same time stretch and, and even the most mature of believers. And I think that's what he's doing here in Luke chapter 6. So yes, the context is relationships. Our God is a relational God that's true. If you read the Bible, you're going to find that truth from beginning to end, cover to cover, Genesis uh, to maps. Uh, our God is the creator of the universe and he has woven into the warp and wolf of our universe. Powerful, practical principles that apply, by the way, to every single area uh, of our lives, our relationships, our jobs, education, our time management, the stewardship of our bodies, and yes, uh, even the stewardship of our finances or our monies. Now, to make sure that we're all on the same page, because you might not have been here last Sunday, uh, and if you weren't here last Sunday and you haven't gone back and watched uh, the video, you haven't gone back and listened to the sermon, uh, you may not know exactly where we are. So let me kind of remind us where we, where we were last week, what we learned last week, and then we can get started on a, on, on a fresh page again uh, this morning. Uh, I believe that the foundational, fundamental, primary passage on stewardship and giving in all of the Bible is Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And I'm not going to take time to go back and reread it and rehearse it and go back through what we talked about last week, but Last Sunday morning, we saw there, we learned that the tithe belongs to God. The tithe is the Lord's. He owns it all. He gives us everything that we have. He tells us to give one-tenth as a tithe back uh, to him to acknowledge his person and his place in our life, as well as to express our love and appreciation for all that he has given to us. And if we don't do that, then he says there, black ink on white paper, he says that we have robbed him. But if we will be faithful in bringing our tithes to him, he says that he's going to open the window 
windows of heaven, and he's going to pour blessings out upon us that are so great and so grand that we can't even contain them. That's what we saw last Sunday morning. The tie belongs to God. It is, it is the floor, not the ceiling. It is the starting point. It is not the finish line. That is the foundation of biblical stewardship. Now, again, this morning, we're going to kind of move out a little bit, and uh, we're going to kind of get out into deeper water, and we're going to begin to learn about the principle of living and giving by faith. Look what Jesus says again in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give, and it will be given to you. And so I read that, and I began to ask myself, okay, self, uh, what kind of illustration, what person could we look at uh, in the Old Testament? What kind of encounter is in the pages of the Old Testament that would teach us what we need to learn, about, again, about living and giving by faith? Because you do know that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the things that happened to them in the Old Testament, they happened as examples for us. And so if we want to be people who know how to live and give, we want to be people, be people who grow and mature and develop in our Christian life and faith, then I think it's good for us to go back and, and look at the examples of the great men and women of the faith back there in the Old Testament. And I believe that the story that teaches us, again, the best example about what it really means to live and give by faith is found in the very first book of your Bible. So hold your place there if you want to. Put one of your ribbons there in Luke chapter 6. And then turn Turn back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. And look back in Genesis chapter 4 with me very, very quickly. It's a very familiar story. It's a story of Cain and Abel. And as we study this story together today, here's what you're going to learn, that, that Abel is not just, he wasn't just a hero of the faith. He is a great example of how to give offerings that would be pleasing to God. I wrote this down here in my notes. Abel was a great man who didn't just know how to live, but he also knew how to give. And here's the principle that I want to make sure that you take home with you uh, this afternoon. And that is that we are to live and we are to give by faith. Look there in Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you have made your way there, say, uh-huh. All right. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. How many of you all know that sin always crouches, always lies at the door? Can I see your hands? Absolutely. He goes on to say, and its desire is for you. So God is not the only one who has a desire and a plan for your life. Sin does as well. But you should rule over it. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass. Listen to these sad, horrible, heartbreaking words. That when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It's a tragic story of the first murder in human history. And it's recorded for us right here in the very first pages of the Bible. And, and what makes this story, this story so tragic and terrible is, is that 
the murderer and his victim were biological brothers. These were the first brothers in, in the history of the world. They were the first children to the first couple who's ever lived, Adam and Eve. Cain was the oldest of the two, and the Bible says that he was a tiller of the ground. That means he was a farmer. He was a gardener. And the younger brother's name was Abel. He was a keeper of sheep. That means that he was a shepherd. And on this day, the Bible says that the boys brought both of them, brought an offering to Jehovah the Lord. And the Bible says that, that Cain's offering was of the fruit of the ground. And Abel's offering was of the flock, the flock and their fat. And the Lord accepted, he respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect or accept Cain's offering. And then when the Lord ex- rejected the older brother's offering, Cain pouted. Cain got mad. He was very, very upset. And so God warned him about the danger of his anger, but he refused to get a hold of it. And he told his brother what the Lord had said to him and how his offering had been rejected. And then in a very calculated, cold-blooded, I mean, just premeditated way, he murdered his own brother. And it must have been a horrible, terrible, brutal, bloody killing because the Bible says later on in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Apparently, he slaughtered him all over that field. It was a horrible, terrible, uh, tragic incident. And as a result of that, Cain's name became synonymous with cruelty and rebellion and sin. But his brother Abel's name went on to become great in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Abel's name is listed first in the great Heroes Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but What we have in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 4, and specifically verse number 4, really is a commentary on the first murder and the first offering in all the Bible. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So lots we can learn from this story, Cain and Abel, the offering, the rejection, the murder, giving and living by faith. That's where I want us to focus this morning. How do we live? How do we give by faith? And I want us to learn this morning some financial uh, truths from this mighty man of the faith. What kind of offering should we give to the Lord? Let me give you about four or five little things, some truths this morning from the example of Abel. Number one, we should give trusting offerings. We should give trusting offerings. And what I mean by that is, is that we should give confident of the fact that when we give to God's work, God's going to bless us and God is going to take care of us financially. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you all believe that? If you really believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Do you really believe that? Say amen. amen. You know, I've said this before from this pulpit many, many, many times. You can't outgive God. You just can't do it. Now, I know some people kind of mock that. There's some lady on, on Facebook post here a couple of weeks ago mocking that, that preachers would say that. But it is absolutely true. You can't outgive God. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered to God. So here's the writer of Hebrews, and he's doing like he so often does. He's emphasizing the importance of faith in the life of the believer. Now, we know that as Baptists, right? As Baptists, we know that we are saved by grace through... Yeah, are y'all still there this morning? I thought I'd gone into some other kind of church, but we are saved by grace through... 
Yeah. And we know that. That's Ephesians 2, 8. We are saved by grace through faith. That is our bread and butter as Baptists. I mean, that's kind of like amazing grace is the Baptist national anthem. That's just kind of who we are. That's what we do. We are saved by grace through faith. But not only are we saved by faith, we are then to continue by faith. We're to live by faith. We're to, we're to walk by faith. As a matter of fact, earlier in the book of Hebrews, it says the just shall live by faith. Later on in the book of Hebrews, it's going to say, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For, with, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Paul says that whatever is not done by faith is sin. So it's a good thing that we're saved by faith. But by the way, you can't be saved any other way, Right? You can't be saved any other way. You are saved by grace through faith, and there's no other ways that you can be saved. But then, once you are saved by faith, again, we are to live by faith. We are to walk by faith. That's what the Bible says that we are supposed to do. We're to continue in the faith. And so, Jesus says to you, Jesus says to me, that it's going to be done according to your faith. That's Matthew 9, 29. One of the greatest preachers who ever lived, matter of fact, he's called the Prince of Preachers. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He, he pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London in the late 1800s. Matter of fact, it's the first really mega church outside of the New Testament because so it, the church was so big, the church was so big that, and so many people wanted to get into it that you had to have a ticket to get into it. And uh, he wrote a great little book called The Soul Winner. And in this little book called The Soul Winner, there is a remarkable passage that I want to share with you this morning. Listen to what he writes. An essential qualification for success in the work of the Lord is a living faith. You know, brethren, how the Lord Jesus Christ could not do many mighty works in his own country because of the unbelief of, of the people. And it is equally true that with some men, God cannot do many mighty works because of their unbelief. If you will not believe, neither will you be used mightily of God. Look right here. You show me a church with great faith, and I'll show you a church where God is doing miracles, right? You show me a church with great faith, and I'll show you where, a church where God is doing something that is absolutely unbelievable. And when we give confidently, financially to the Lord's work, we should do it trusting, knowing that God's going to take care of us, and we're never even going to miss what we give to God. Again, Hebrews chapter 11 said a moment ago, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That, that means when you give, you give a, you're assured that, that God's going to take care of you. It is the evidence uh, of things not seen. When you give to God's work financially, you're convinced, even though you can't see it, God's going to take care of you. Somebody has paraphrased uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1 this way, that they said, faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. That's pretty good, right? Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And I'm just going to tell you this morning that when you give to God, you can be confidently assured that God's going to take care of you. I've heard people say, so I told the other services, um, I've, I've been a pastor for a minute. That's, that's kind of a cool word, right? And uh, I've been a pastor for a minute. And, uh, and so one of these days, you'd be surprised at the things that I've heard people say. It'll blow your mind. Uh, what people have said, oh, I, I've heard with these years over the years. What, matter of fact, when I retire, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to wait till I retire so I can't get fired. But when I retire, I'm writing a book. And I'm going I'm to give all the crazy stuff 
that I have heard and seen over these years. And, 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 and so over the years, I've had people say to me, and, and normally it'll be when I come in the back of the room and, and I'm coming before the, right before the service, somebody's going to come and, and they'll come up beside me and they'll kind of hand me some little nugget of negativity. And, and, and they'll kind of pull up beside me and they'll say something uh, like this. You know, Pastor, I, I'm trusting God with my eternal soul to secure me and get me over to heaven, but, but I don't know that I can trust him with 10% of my money. Hello? You're, you're telling me that you think you can trust God to get you to heaven, but you can't trust him with your money? Am I the only redneck in here who thinks there's a problem with that? Right? That, that, listen, if you're not trusting him with your money, are you really trusting him with your soul? Think about that for just a few moments. We should give confident offerings, trusting to the Lord that he's going to do what he said he could do. So if you were here last week, you remember Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And again, uh, you had this lady post this thing and, and, and doesn't think the New Testament's a store, the, the church in the New Testament's a storehouse. You got a problem with Paul because Paul says it absolutely is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But anyway, uh, take it up with him when you get to heaven. Uh, that he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it and so what God says is try me put me to the test see if I won't do what I promise you that I will do and I'm just telling you you're gonna you, you should display your faith and your trust in God by giving your tithes and your offerings to him, we should give based on trust. Number two, we should give truthful offerings. In other words, we realize that the truth of this book, that we're not giving to man, we're giving to God. We're not giving to a church, we are giving to the Lord. And, and when you get that down really deep into your heart, it's going to make a huge difference uh, in your Christian life. Listen to what the Bible says again about Abel's offering. By faith, Abel offered to God. So let me ask you a question. Who did Abel give to? Who did he give to? Yeah, he gave to God. By faith, Abel offered to God. He brought his offering to God. He gave for the glory of God. He didn't give to impress his brother Cain. He didn't give to make his daddy Adam uh, proud of him. He didn't, uh, uh, he didn't give to so his mom would say, hey, good, good job, son. He, 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 his gift was not a show. It was a sacrifice. And by the way, didn't Jesus teach us, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, that we should give offerings to God and not for the praises of men, Right? So we're to give not for the praises of men, we're to give uh, for the glory of God. And so let me just remind you of this, that the financial gifts that, that we give, by the way, that we give. So why do you say we? Because I do it. Uh, I had a lady Wednesday night, and she, she came up to me out there at West, and she said, I've never seen a preacher preach a sermon on, on giving and, and smile and have so much fun the whole time. And, and I, I looked at her and I said, well, because I do it. She said, what do you mean? She said, because I give. I, you know, some of you all grew up in churches where the preacher never preached on giving. And what he said was, well, I just don't think that's my job. Well, by the way, Jesus taught more about giving than he did about hell. Because you got a problem right there, okay? He talked about money, giving, and stewardship more than he did about hell. Well, the reason why so many preachers don't preach about giving because they don't do it. I don't mind preaching about giving because I do. Patricia Bensma is my secretary. She's sitting right over there. And the receipts for my gifts go to 
pastor at myabilene.org, and she gets them. She knows when I give. She knows how much I give. Melanie Achilles before her. And so over the years, I've just, I don't have a problem preaching about why we all ought to give because we practice it in my family. And so when we give to Abilene Baptist Church, we are to be giving to God and God alone. And so again, I've heard things through the years would absolutely blow your mind. I'm going to write a book about it one day. And uh, I'll come in the back of the room, and somebody will catch me back at the back, and, and, and they'll say something like this right here. They'll say, well, preacher, I refuse to give my money to the church because I don't like how the church is handling my money. I don't like how, what they're doing with, with my money. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Raise your hand. Don't lie. Raise your hand. You either said it or you heard it, right? That is a sad, misguided statement by a sad, misguided person. First of all, you're to give to God, not to the church. And you don't give to the church. You give to the one who, by the way, who died for the church. And when you rob and refuse to give to the church financially, you're not robbing the church. You're technically robbing Jesus. And then number two, they, whoever they is, they are not spending your money. Stewardship means that everything that you have belongs to God. And so what you give through this church isn't yours to begin with because you couldn't have earned it if God didn't give you a, the job that you have. If you weren't, it's the God who gives you, wakes you up in the morning. It's God who keeps your heart beating. It's God who puts lungs, airs in your lungs. It's God who gives you the, the mental ability to do your job. It's God who gives you the strength to do your job. And so it's his money to begin with because he allows you to earn it. And then when you and I give it back to the church and to the Lord, it's doubly his then. And so don't ever say, we should never say, I don't like how they're spending my money down there at the church because it is not your money. It is not my money. It's his money. Kind of quiet in here today, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Preachers start preaching about sin, not money. I, I know. Now, if you're worried about how your money is spent, by, by the way, I, I love doing this, and Josh loves me doing this. So we have an audit every single year. We just had our annual audit about two weeks ago. Perfect audit. A perfect audit every year. Perfect audit. And so you can trust that. But let me just say this. If, if you're one of those ones and, and you're worried about your money being mishandled at the church, can, can I just remind you of something? God knows how to handle anybody who mishandles his money on either end, right? Yeah, I got a little bit right there, didn't I? God knows how to handle anybody who mishandles his money on either end. Our concern, your concern, should not be about somebody else mishandling God's money. Our concern, your concern, ought to be about you mishandling God's money. And I'll tell you what, when you draw that paycheck, when I draw that paycheck, and we, and we don't give at least 10% of that back to God, we're mishandling God's money. We need to give confidently trusting God. We need to give consecrated offerings, trusting that the truth that you're giving unto the Lord. Number three, we should give treasured offerings. And what I mean by that is, is that God deserves our best, not your leftovers, not your hand-me-downs. And I love telling this story. So several years ago, if you've been in Abilene, you've heard this before. And, uh, and so several years ago, my very first church, uh, we had built a brand new building. It was the first intentional new church work in the Big Hatchie Baptist Association in like 34 years. We built, any construction guys in here this morning? Any construction, raise your hand. Any construction guys in here this morning? And, and so we built 16,000 square feet for $300,000. That was a deal, wasn't it? And, uh, and so we had just moved into this new building. We were growing like wildfire. 
And one of the ladies from the church called me and she said, hey, preacher. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, hey, we, we got a lot of new furniture and toys for our kids' rooms and for the nurseries. And what, what we want to do is we want to give our old furniture and our old toys to the church so the church can, can use it there in, 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 the new, in the new building and in the new rooms. And I knew I was coming next. I knew I was coming next. She said, and if we do that, can we, can we get a tax break? Oh, my goodness. Have I told you I'm a redneck? <laughs> I put my hand over the phone and I said, Dear God, thank you that this lady is not standing right here in front of me. <laughs> and I finally, I, I composed myself and I said, You do what? She said, We want to give our old furniture and our old toys to the church. I said, We don't want them. She said, Excuse me? I said, We don't want them. We don't need them. Look here, guys. How many of y'all think that God's house ought to be just as nice or even nicer than our homes? I got both my hands up, right? Absolutely. So we, we don't need them. We, we, we don't want them. That's what I told that lady. So what does it say about Abel's offering? It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Say a more excellent sacrifice. Yeah, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So why was Abel's offering better than Cain's? Why, why did God receive Abel's offering and, and reject Cain's offering? Well, I think the reason is right there in that text. It's a great place to find your understanding of the Bible, by the way, is in the Bible. He says there in verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The word firstborn there literally means firstlings. These were the best of the flock. This was the best of the fat. You say, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. The text tells us that Cain evidently gave a token offering to the Lord while Abel gave his best. So I need you to pull out your pen and your paper. I need you to write something down this morning. If you're new here especially. So uh, I told the, early sir, uh, the, the other service this morning, I forgot to do something this week. I got to remember to do that this, this week and, and, uh, because I want you to have stuff to write on. Now, you've got handouts this morning, so you've got a place to write this. I want you to write this, but you might throw that away. I want you to write it in your Bible somewhere. And what I'm going to do when I, get, when, when I get a chance is I'm going to go down here to Zaxby's and I'm going to buy a whole sleeve of those Zaxby's napkins just for you to take notes on, okay? If you're new at Abilene, you have no idea what that means. But if you, how many of y'all understood what I just said? Can I, that way you won't have to get around and work around the, 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 the soft stain. Uh, but I'm going to give you something to write on. But I need you to write this down. Put it there in your, in your Bible, fly leaf, somewhere like that. And here's what I need you to remember. Don't ever forget this. Great Christians and great churches are not built on spare time and pocket change. Great Christians and great churches are not built on spare time and pocket change. And yet, that it, that's what it seems like so many people want to give to God. Spare time, a little bit of pocket change. Well, Pastor, I said I got I to gotta give this morning. He's preaching on giving. I got to walk out the door. There's going to be a guy there uh, with, a, with a plate by the door. Let me kind of have any change here in my pocket. Hey, honey, what about your purse? Let's get a few quarters in here so you can throw something in the plate. God needs our money. Poor, pitiful, little God, he, he needs our money. No, no, no. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. We talked about that last week. He doesn't need your money at all. He doesn't need my money. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your mind. Can, can I see your hands? Or hold your hands up here this morning. Uh, hold your hands. Hey, sir. Hey, sir. It's hard, to, it's hard for me to see your hands when you're sitting on them. So hold your hands up here, all right? The Bible says that whatever you do with your hands, you're to do with all of your might. 
In other words, if your hand is like this instead of like this, then you're going to have to give an account for what you've done with your hand, right? You're going to have to give an account for what you've done with your hand. And hands are not just for gripping. Hands are for giving. Has it ever dawned on you that Jesus Christ would have never gone to the cross, died there for your sins and my sins, if he had not opened up his hand? He spread his arms. He willingly opened up his hands. He was willingly nailed there to the cross. Why? He's worthy of our very best. Number four, because I can tell you all love this today. We should give testifying offerings. In other words, we, we should give offerings that God commends us for. He brags about us or he testifies about us like he testified about Abel. Look what it says. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift. Now, it's one thing for, for you to brag about giving. It's nothing for God to brag about your giving, right? You say, well, pastor, does God know what I give? Absolutely. God knows what you give. God knows what you keep. And God knows the difference between the two. God knows every bit of it. And by the way, some of y'all are not, some of y'all are robbing God. So you know that he knows that. And I'm not mad at you, but I'll just tell you this. You're going to find it hard to explain one of these days when you stand before him and you see the, the scars in his hands and you see the scar in his side and you, you see the scars on his brow and, and you understand all that he gave you. You're going to have a very hard time explaining to him why you had to have that new truck, why you had to have that new boat, why you had to have that, that mountain home, why you had to have the latest iPhone. Have you seen how expensive iPhones are lately? I was going through one of my baskets last night, and I found an old flip phone. And I, my very first thought was, the kid's getting that one, right? Jack needs that one. That's what he needs, a flip phone. But you're going to have a hard time explaining to the Lord why you had to have all of that stuff and you couldn't do what he told you to do in order for us to reach the world with the good news of the gospel. That's just ABC Christianity right there, Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's just basic. God condemned Cain's giving, but he commended Abel's offering. And I'll just ask you this morning before we get ready to close. Would God brag on what you give and how you give? And then lastly, we should give triumphant offerings. And what I mean by that is that we, we should give offerings that are going to be remembered long after we die. Let me ask you this morning. We're, we're about done. Are you giving gifts that are going to outlast you? Are you leaving a legacy in the way that you're giving financially to the kingdom of God? You know, some people want to leave a legacy. They want their name on a building, a bridge, or a highway. No, nothing wrong with that. But I'm just telling you this morning that, that I want to leave a financial legacy. I, I want to give so that after I'm dead, what I gave is still working and winning people to the Lord Jesus. Because here's what I know. You can't take it with you. Other than some meme that I saw on Facebook one time that I think was photoshopped. I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. And the only way that you can outlive yourself is to leave it uh, behind 
giving away all that you can. Notice what the Bible says about this precious man. We're done. The last part of that verse, and through it, he being dead still speaks. I'm getting old. I wasn't old when I came here. I'm getting old. Somebody looked at me the other day and they said, Pastor, look at all your gray hair. I said, I didn't have those when I came here. And some of y'all have, some of y'all have your names on my hairs. Y'all know that? I want you to know that this morning. I turned 50 this summer. And one of the things that, that, is, that is getting on the forefront of my mind is I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy for my kids, my family. I want to leave a legacy in my ministry. And even financially, I want to leave a, leave a legacy. I want to give in such a way that after I'm dead and gone, my gifts are still working and winning people to Jesus. And I want to at least see a little bit of it in my lifetime, right? The old country preachers used to say, do your giving while you're living so you know where it's going. Some of y'all say, well, I- I'm going to give it to my kids. Are you nuts? Your kids are going to blow it on Disney. Did you know that? I want to leave a legacy where after I'm long dead and, dead and gone, people are still being won to Jesus and missionaries are still being sent out and churches are still being strengthened and built because of my, because of my gifts. You know, the greatest, one of the greatest movies ever, ever made was It's a Wonderful Life. Did y'all know that? I, I turned 50 this summer. I told you that. And, um, I guess I've watched it 40 or 50 times. I guess I've watched it 40 or 50 times. And um, there's that crazy scene where they're trying to get out of town on the honeymoon. Ernie's going to drive in the taxi. And um, there's this run on the bank, the savings and loan. There's this run. And everybody's going to get their money out and going to sell out to Mr. Potter. You know the whole story. And Bailey's in there in the office and... George Bailey's in the office, and he's, he, he's looking up and talking to his dad. There's a picture of his dad there, Peter, on the wall. He loved him, would always count him on for counsel and, and wisdom. And he's asking, basically, what should we do? What, what, what should we do? And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there's a, there's a statement up underneath that picture. You ever noticed it? There's a statement up underneath that picture. All you can take with you is that which you have given away. All that you can take with you is that which you've given away. Can't take it with you. You can send it on ahead of you. And when we do what the Bible tells us to do, starting on the, on the foundation, the ground floor, tithing, one dime out of every dollar, one dollar out of every ten, one ten out of every one hundred, so on and so forth. When we do the what God tells us to do. And, we, and then we grow. We're living and giving by faith. And we begin to give other offerings. 
And he's strengthening our faith and he's showing himself strong and we don't have any needs because he's taking care of us. Then we really understand what it means to live and to give by faith, right? 